You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. I have Nathan Wilmot. He's an Associate R&D Director, and Keith Wilson, a Strategic Marketing Manager at Dow Industrial Solutions. And we're going to be talking about their recent launch of a, a new 3D printing product, which they'll describe. So guys, thanks for coming, and how are you doing? Great. Thanks for having us both today. Yeah, if you would, let me know about uh, Dow Industrial. What's the premise of the company, and uh, you know, how does the new 3D printing product fit into the portfolio? Uh, so, so maybe a little bit uh, more broadly, uh, we're, we're part of Dow. We're industrial solutions, a business within Dow, uh, focused on bringing okay. primarily solutions to the industrial sector, whether that's manufacturing um, or otherwise, more or less. The, and then within uh, manufacturing, which is very broad too, what, what area are uh, Dow Industrial Solutions focused on? Or maybe in particular, what are you focused on within manufacturing? Because that's also very broad. Sure. So that could be everything from uh, maybe additives or ingredients or uh, products used to impact uh, the way that water interacts with certain materials or um, in a, a really pretty wide variety of, of areas. So everything from, um, gosh, I can say personally, breweries and wineries, uh, fluids that get used there for, for cooling and thermal stability to um, products that are used even in concentrated solar power and other renewable energy type applications. So incredibly broad, you could say. Okay. And then within, within, within additive manufacturing specifically, we've done quite a bit of work looking at how we can bring the power of Dow, the material science expertise, and many of the innovations maybe that have been brought from a variety of businesses or, or applications in the past to the world of, of additive. So we've We've been looking heavily at, you know, the partnerships that we have and how we can best leverage our strengths and the strengths of others to come up with, with solutions that will hopefully further the uh, adoption of, of 3D printing and a variety of new applications. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is the public doesn't know the term additive manufacturing probably as much as they know 3D printing. So that's what I wanted to ask you about. So um, in 3D printing, I've spoken to people that, you know, are trying to fabricate out of metal, some out of, you know, different plastics, et cetera. But I would guess composites are probably the next goal for all 3D printing, or maybe it's already here. So, you know, maybe tell me about the state of 3D printing as it is now, and what are some inroads you guys have made in it? So, Dow's, our strength really lies on the polymer space, and that's where we've been focused already. Um, we've, uh, you mentioned before, the, the universal support material that's based on, on one of our polymers and, and had, brings in an added layer of, um, kind of ease of use and sustainability to 
um, FDM or, or the, the filament type of 3D printing, where now if you're building complex shapes, uh, you oftentimes use a support material. And our support material uh, has been found to be you know, considerably more uh, easy for the user, you know, if in an academic or potentially a home or an office environment uh, to deal with in, in terms of breaking that down than, than others. Uh, more recently, we, we launched our first build material. This is our OBC. Um, and here we're really trying to, to move the needle on utility for 3D printing, 3D printed parts where, you know, historically they're primarily prototypes, um, but how do we start making them more functional? And, and we found that with the OBC, we can bring a layer of uh, toughness to it and, and chemical resistance, making it more durable. So now we can start to consider some applications and, and not just work in the prototype space. Yeah, I've heard that a common misconception is that, you know, you 3D print something and it's ready to be used, but there's a lot of finishing and refinement to a lot of products and parts, right? Yeah, there's that. And, and you know, not not every material that, that you're going to have access to in, in your 3D printing store, right, it is going to be useful for the applications that you're trying to, um, to potentially use them for. So, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of relatively simple things that, that you can 3D print in your house, you know, toys or little... Um, gadgets or even I've seen some things with like drawer pulls or uh, shower uh, curtain hangers and stuff like that where the environment and, and the use conditions aren't really that hard, right? You don't need it to stand up uh, to long-term durability needs. But but that for, for additive manufacturing and 3D printing to really kind of take over the industry, we need to start developing those materials to that are 3D printable, but also um, match the long-term performance requirements that are needed. Uh, in in the variety of end-use applications that might exist. Well, what are some of the drawbacks to the current materials? You, you talked about using a base material, but, you know, just as a consumer, the only thing I've seen is, you know, people will 3D print like Yoda's head or a Star Wars thing, or like <laughs> little trinkets. I haven't seen really the industrial or, you know, manufacturing applications of it. So, yeah, so the Yoda head and the little trinkets and toys, right, it, those likely probably are, are made out of either um, ABS or polylactic acid, which are two of the most commonly used uh, 3D printing materials that, that you buy for your at-home printers, which, you know, the, the filament type printer is what most people use. And um, that's what's been around for a long time. And they've been adopted with very good success and, and people really know how to print them well. Um, you see now coming some, some new technologies, some new materials like thermoplastic polyurethanes or uh, polyamides, and they move the needle again on on that kind of mechanical resist or mechanical durability, um, more engineering type polymers, um, and and that's where we see the OBC fitting as well in in that it, it brings a significant performance benefit over over some of the PLAs and the ABSs in terms of long term chemical resistance. Um, mechanical toughness while keeping it easy to print, right? So uh, sometimes when the new materials come out, they, they tend to be a little more challenging to print and, and there's a little bit of a learning curve there. And we've really tried to make this as user-friendly as possible. I guess maybe, maybe just a, uh, a substance that'll flow, but then set quickly when you want it to set and act mechanically how you want it to act, right? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So, you know, in the, the kind of, Benchmark 3D printers, you're, you're taking a thermoplastic material, you're running it through um, a hot end to draw out your, uh, your layer by layer 3D print, and um, it, 
having something that melts at at a reasonable temperature that the printers can handle while, like you said, um, setting and solidifying is relatively quickly, right, while keeping adhesion between the layers and not having warpage and dimensional instability is really what you're trying to drive for here. And and that, as new materials are commercialized, is something that has been a challenge. Maybe just well, a little uh, bit. Uh, uh, go ahead. Maybe, go ahead. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Just, just as a maybe a step back at a higher level, I, I would just say that, or just to add on to what, what Nathan's saying, that if, and I've, I've heard this quoted a million times at, at conferences, trade shows, market reports, et cetera, but if you think about the industrial revolution offering standardized products to the masses, a lot of times people say that 3D printing is offering customized products to the masses. So uh, if you were looking 200 years ago at getting a pair of shoes, maybe you had to go to a, a specialized cobbler uh, skilled worker that would be able to make those shoes just right for your feet. And then that went away very quickly as shoes started coming down production lines in standard sizes and width. But as we all know, right, there's a lot of people that don't have identical feet. And so having the opportunity to to customize those, those products, whether it's a customer and user, uh, or also just being able to produce larger parts and instead of needing a number of component producers having the ability to print that part as one continuous object is some of the areas that we see the most value as far as 3D printing goes. And so if you, you take that example and then you say, well, what kinds of materials do I see on a regular basis and, and some of the products I use day in, day out, like my shoes, that's the, the variety of materials that you're able to choose from in the world of, of 3D printing today is not necessarily mirroring that of what you would see in the manufacturing environment outside of, of 3D printing or additive. And so that's, that's I think, at a high level where, where we're trying to go is to develop those, those materials with those properties that, that can enable those applications to exist. So I would think composite materials are even a step more difficult than just the you know, uniform materials that have all the right properties, right? Or can they sure, go hand absolutely. in hand and both can be developed, no problem? Oh, I... I that, that that is an added layer of complexity, yeah, right. So if you're going to consider composites uh, as we would normally now, either you know glass fiber, carbon fiber, et cetera, um, they do exist in the 3D printing space. But yeah, there is there is an added layer of challenge there where that you don't maybe have when you're just using base polymers. But um, but the, but they've been commercialized and and you know they're starting to find some some good use too. Uh, it. it like I come back to, like we talked about before, I mean, it's it's about finding ways to make the same materials that exist now, be it in, you know, automotive or other applications, but allow this customization piece through additive manufacturing that uh, traditional techniques don't always allow. So what are some of the um, the near-term goals that the industry has or you guys have? You know, what uh, is it a particular type of material? Is it a need to... You know, 3D print your product and have no finishing needed. I mean, what are some of the uh, the things you're looking to do? I I would say that just generally speaking, what what we see across the board is um, different areas of expertise. Right? You've got printer manufacturers who may have an incredible amount of knowledge when it comes to how you can make a a printer work, how you can make it um, more modular in, in terms of its design, so that it can make a variety of structures based on the end user's needs. Um, then you have material science companies like ourselves that are looking at how we can innovate on the material side. And all of this then feeds into a designer at the end of the day that's taking 
that technology using some sort of software and designing a part with the material properties that they need to hit to have a, a finished solution. And one of the things that personally I'm, I'm really excited about with the way that the market has been moving more recently is that as this has, as 3D printing has become more and more um, open as far as collaboration, we're seeing the speed of innovation, the speed of new things coming out happening at a much more rapid pace. So the just in general, the the speed that you're able to take um, that it may take to find that that final solution for for any given application, it's arguably arguably getting uh, much faster because of these types of of collaborations. That's very much so kind of the area that we're we're focused in. Also, is looking at how we can leverage our strength as a material science company that's developed um, a variety of polymers and a variety of applications to improve them or to enable those applications to exist. How can we take that knowledge, that expertise, and then partner with with companies that also have their own expertise in in 3D printing, uh, whether that's the printer manufacturer, the software developer, the designer themselves? Uh, how can we we partner and and collaboratively innovate to bring new solutions faster to the market? Do you have any specific examples of materials or products or methodologies that you know are relatively new you've created and what the effect was by using them? So Nathan kind of touched on this a bit earlier, but as we were having many of the conversations that we've had over the, the last couple of years with, with some of our partners, one of the things that we had heard was that we needed the need for a a material that was truly water soluble and that could be used in with a variety of of build materials as a, a sacrificial support. And that was that was where our focus on our initial product that was developed and launched, the universal support material, that, that's where that, that began. Uh, and it's safe to dispose of. It reduces some of those safety and environmental concerns, which is also a big part of, of Dow just in general. Uh, but then with the, the new material we've developed, over and over again, we we're hearing that in applications where you may need uh, chemical resistance um, for either blending, mixing, um, or where you you might have a, a part that could get exposed to a chemical and and its its use that type of material that had that chemical resistance that could also have the the durability factor did not exist. So if you you think about how many polyethylene totes might be out there that are used for transporting chemicals or other products, there's a reason that it's polyethylene, right? And that same uh, those same properties didn't exist in the world of of 3D printing previously, and that's where again our our newly developed product, the the OBC old from Black Copolymer that that we we launched a few months ago now. That's where that that started was was having those conversations and understanding that there was a set of applications that that didn't have a solution standing. And so again, as we think about the ability to make materials that are maybe more elastomeric and that are capable of, of being quickly printed for use in footwear or in component part production for for larger manufacturers. I mean, that's that's an area that we certainly see uh, an opportunity to improve, especially, and I think Nathan said this earlier, uh, when you start thinking about that term engineering grade materials, it means that it's got a certain level of, of durability and toughness to it. And that's that's again an area I think that broadly speaking, the industry as a whole is is looking for because if you think about the 
number of, of products today that are injection molded or that are produced using other manufacturing methods, there's certainly an, an opportunity there to be able to streamline production of, of those parts through 3D printing. Well, I mean, things are made of what they're made of. So do you have to simply modify the existing materials that you know engineered manufactured products are made of, or do you have to come up with totally new materials? And then there's you know all the properties of the new materials. So it seems like it would make this task very difficult to come up with a whole new set of materials, you know, that already have been proven or used in manufacturing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's quite difficult, actually, right? And in some cases, you know, people have found that you can use uh, the same or, or some simple modification of an existing material that's used and, and put it into a, a 3D printer or other uh, AM-type machine. But in a lot of cases, you can't, right, because the limitations of the processes that have been developed in injection molding or, um, you know, other, other manufacturing techniques, cast, casting, things like this over the last several decades are really, the materials are built for those. And, and now we have, you know, this new manufacturing technique and, and there's some adjustments that have to be made. So, um, you know, we, we have a, a pretty large R&D group now that's, that's working on trying to do just that and adapt or adapt the, the, the existing materials or at least get towards those end use properties um, in a in a 3D printing technology or an additive manufacturing technology. Um, any products that are kind of the uh, you know the great hope for 3D printing that aren't there yet but maybe are close, you know, either material properties or uh, objects to be printed themselves, you know, maybe circuits to be 3D printed. Um, you know, what are again the great hopes that uh, there will be a huge boon when they happen. Um, I, you know, not to not to toot our horn too much, right? But I think the the, the commercialization of the OBC and having a having a printable polyolefin um, that we launched uh, in you know just November of last year is is in that step of, of something that is nearly a great hope because you know polyolefins are the world's most widely used plastics. Um, they're, they're excellent for their durability, for their toughness, for their chemical resistance. For the recyclability, so they have a good life cycle with them as well. Um, but they they were few and far between in the 3D printing space, and we were able to develop something um, that maintains a lot of those heritage properties. But again, is is really quite easy to use um, for for even a, a novice user in 3D print with 3D printing. So that is you know that's our first foray certainly into um, developing these new materials that will ultimately help transform. Um, additive manufacturing as a more useful tool. And, and maybe just to get to your question a little bit, um, a little bit more from, from my angle, the, when you think about the, sort of the holy grail of 3D printing, I think that changes quite a bit as you look at different end users, right, and different applications. Uh, I think at a high level, the, even though that goal may vary or that, um, that holy grail may vary by, by application or end user, at the end of the day, what, what many companies are striving for in this space is to develop um, total solutions that can be used to without without the limitations necessarily being there and, and saying, well, we would love to be able to 3D print this, but um, these properties aren't there to enable this application. Or uh, we would love to be able to 3D print this, but it's too slow. Um, and as I think about, too, the maybe more broadly, the impact on society, the ability to have a scalable printing technology. So I'm sure you've seen examples of people 3D printing um, 
large structures, buildings, um, or cars, um, the bodies of cars, or um, a, a variety of other other applications. But I mean, it, if you think about 3D printing as being um, a broadly used term that describes a lot of different technologies, I kind of think of them all as being different tools in a toolbox for different different applications. And so again, it's going to vary as far as what what that actual that holy grail is by application. Uh, but at the end of the day, what what I think companies and the market is is looking to do in general is to be able to offer new solutions that either improve um, mechanical performance or offer the ability to produce parts in a just-in-time manner in remote locations where that's that's maybe more important or to be able to to be deployed really rapidly, right? So if, if we take the example of being able to 3D print really large structures um, for disaster relief, for instance, having a material that can withstand uh, the environment that that, that printer is being deployed in and where that structure is being built, that's really important. And so we're we're looking every day at different applications that are are needing uh, solutions and whether that solution comes from just a, a tweak or change of, of material properties or if it's um, a mix of those material properties with the right type of printer and the right type of um, software, other technologies to that complement complement the printing itself to to enable that application to succeed. I think that's, again, it, it's going to vary widely, but it's it's incredibly exciting to be a part of it, right? That we're seeing these things happen, not on a, a yearly basis or a, um, a once in a decade type basis, but on a daily basis. Hmm. So what's uh, <clears throat> what's ahead for the next six months or a year? What's uh, is coming now? Just more widespread adoption of the polyolefin or are there other initiatives that you can talk about? I would say that that one is for sure something that we're we're excited about and then expanding upon that right so so looking at how we can continue iterating on that initial formulation of that that polyethylene based material that we've we've developed and launched um and whether that comes with functionalization or with uh by other means we're we're fully focused on how we can deliver solutions that the market's looking for so we're not just blindly doing that but we're really looking for um for communication and with that market directly and hearing from the end users, from those designers that are struggling to make that part, what's holding them back. And we're learning a lot of this through, again, the partnerships that we have, whether that be a printer manufacturer, a software developer, et cetera. Uh, but I think we all play a, a critical role in sort of delivering that. So the hope is definitely that we are able to continue expanding on, on what we're doing right now to help further the industry, further the adoption, especially in the manufacturing space. Uh, but then also just looking at what, how much can we push the limits of of some of the polymers that we're we're developing as far as in use applications, and whether that's leveraging uh, this initial polyolefin or going down the path of uh, different options that we may have on the in the polyurethanes or silicone space. Um, these are all all areas that we are very actively exploring. And then you know, last question: What's um again? What's the holy grail of the industry? What What's like super ambitious and may take you know five to ten years or more in order to accomplish, but you know what what is that thing? I think generally speaking across the industry or in the market, I guess it's it's to be able to have anything you want on demand, right? And what does that mean? I mean, if I if like he said, I want a certain pair of shoes that are some color and have some proper fit on my foot, and the soles are um, 
geared towards my running style or something like that. To be able to manufacture that easily, quickly, and cost-effectively, those are the type of things that are really the holy grail for additive manufacturing and how it can replace more traditional um, techniques while being infinitely customizable for every person on this planet. And, you know, that's a long way off. That's certainly more than five to 10 years off. But but that is truly, I think, the vision of the industry as a whole. Okay. I didn't know if there was, uh, you know, being able to print, again, uh, circuits with inside of, you know, the body of a product was a big goal for the industry or, you know, any other specifics. I, I think that's certainly, I mean, I'm, I I would love to hear more on, on where that, um, that comment's coming from, because it's something that I think about all the time. Um, the concept of not just taking your car to the mechanic and finding out that something's wrong, but your car alerting you well before that part is broken, that it's at risk of breaking, right? By having some of those embedded electronics, I think is, is something that, that certainly would be really exciting, not just from a, um, not just from an end user or customer standpoint, but also from a safety standpoint, right? That, you know, there's less accidents because these parts that your brakes didn't fail because you knew days in advance that this was, was potentially something that could happen and you went to the mechanic. Um, and maybe a, a separate uh, sort of objective or, or holy grail, if you will, that I, I see in this market, the concept of multi-material printing. So being able to take materials that are printed on a variety of technologies and being able to do it all at, at once or in some sort of uniform process um, opens up a lot of doors. Because as I look across the broad spectrum of, of different technologies used to 3D print, you can see that each has sort of its pros and cons. But being able to start looking at how powerful that portfolio of manufacturing processes could be if they were combined, I think is is incredibly interesting and could have a uh, an amazing impact on the the world we live in. Yeah, the reason I ask is you know smart devices are starting to proliferate, so it would be nice if uh, the electronics would be integrated into the devices themselves. So that's why I figured that would be a big an upcoming thing for 3D printing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know, again, coming back to kind of the wearable technology and, and having, you know, one automated process to manufacture something that is built for you as the user, right? Um, and that is, like Keith said, I mean, the, there is some limitations now with multi-material printing and trying to get out of assembly, which, you know, you can probably print all of the components for for any wearable uh, one-off, but then you still have to have somebody that assembles it, right? And and to be able to, to build out a multi-material platform um, would help to overcome a lot of these issues. Well, very good. Um, so what's the best way for folks to find out more about, uh, you know, the evolved material and the platform and uh, more about Dow Industrial Solutions? So if, if you'd like to Google Evolved 3D, that's, that's one very simple way to be able to find us. Um, maybe aside from that, um, we're usually present at, at quite a bit as far as trade shows and things like that. Um, our website, data.com slash evolve3d is, is always there. Uh, but you know, I would say just in general, we'd, we'd encourage that. We're always excited to be able to talk with end users that share the same passion that we do for exploring the, the potential and the possibilities that 3D printing enables. So we'd be very excited to, to continue learning and partnering and collaborating to hopefully innovate and, and expand the application space in this area. All right, well, very good. Well, guys, I appreciate you coming. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Richard. Thank you for having us.
You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.